So, first of all, Loyal, thank you very much for coming on the show today. I know you're an extremely busy guy, and I really appreciate your time. So, what I would like to do today is give you a platform to talk a little bit about your fascinating life and some of the work that you're doing in the community. So, to start with, why don't you tell us how you got to Kelowna and how long you've been in the hairstyling business. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Luke. I really appreciate it. And what a great initiative to showcase the Okanagan and why so many of us love living here. I first moved to the Okanagan in 1993. I grew up in an RCMP household, so we were transferred here from the Kootenays. My dad was an officer with the RCMP, and my mom actually worked in dispatch. So it's through and through me, um, law enforcement. Um, so I graduated high school on the west side, originally at George Pringle, graduated from Mount Boucherie. So I've been here for quite some time, and we've seen the Okanagan grow tremendously. And I've been so fortunate to enjoy great success with my business, Loyal Hair, that we opened um, 12 years ago in 2006. And it's really been built on the philosophy of community. And I believe that giving goes full circle. So we can't just consume, we must also produce and give back to the community that supports us. And that's really been the backbone uh, of what's driven the business forward so far. Tell us a little bit about your business. Established 2006, and you have a lot of hairstylists there. Do you offer any other services besides hair? And where's the location? Great. So really awesome questions. And, you know, I think any entrepreneur will agree that the business is forever changing and shifting and moving. So when we opened in 2006, we were located in Glenmore. Then we moved to Harvey Avenue. And last year, we made the move to downtown Kelowna. And the main reason we did that is because we really wanted to be part of a community, not just based around a highway. So being downtown in the main cultural district in the Seoul building um, is a really great demonstration of how we're able to, to reach deeper into our community. We have 10, 10 employees, 10, 10 hairstylists. We specialize only in hairstyling because we have the philosophy where we want to be the best at what we do. We don't ever want to dilute that by adding extra services that we're not masters at. Right. So we extensively train our team and, and elevate them to new levels of success. And our main point of difference is that we do our very best not to recruit from other salons in Kelowna. We cultivate talent from the hair school. We grow our young talent from the ground up, and we do that in in a really holistic way and we do a lot of business and one-on-one -on -one coaching to help people grow not only professionally but also personally because both go hand in hand. Do you do men's and women's hair? Yes, we. You, uh, I'd say about 85% of our business is female and then 15% is male. Right. So we do have those business guys that are coming in quite frequently but we really specialize in color services so right. we tend to get a lot of women. And uh, that's interesting what you said. You make it a point not to poach from other businesses, which is really nice. Um, what would happen, hypothetically, if someone from another salon came and said, look, I'm not happy. I want to join you guys. What, how would you react? Quite a conundrum, right? Because when you're in business, you always want to move forward. Um, the, the biggest piece of advice, and that does happen, is for them to speak to their leaders first before we have and engage in conversations with them. And if we're in an environment that they really want to come and work with, we encourage them to, to leave their position in a really positive way. And we make it very well known that we don't go out and source them, that they have come to us. So did you always want to be a hairstylist? When did you get the idea? So you started this company in 2006, but did you have an inkling? Did you work for someone else or how did you become a hairstylist? 
so again, going back to being an entrepreneur, I think it's like it pumps through your blood. So I finished hair school in 2003. I went through, I'm a terrible employee, actually. I'm terrible. Um, and, and it's because I have so many ideas and, and I want to do things my own way. So I worked in a few different salons from 2003 to 2006. Um, and really, I really wanted to own my own salon and do things my way. So um, learned through the School of Hard Knocks. I was 21 years old, backed by the bank of mom. She was my number one mm-hmm. supporter at the time. And, um, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes, and I think I've paid for a degree in all of those uh, mistakes that I've made, but it, it's brought us this far. Would you be comfortable sharing maybe one or two of those mistakes? And Because uh, one of the things I want to do with this show is encourage people who are young or even older who want to become entrepreneurs. And uh, I wish I had a mentor when I went off on my own. Because uh, I made a ton of mistakes too, sometimes very costly mistakes, and I always say I wish I had someone like a big brother or a dad to tell me, "Hey, don't do that. That's a mistake." Or you know, here's some here's some advice. Absolutely, and <laughs> as sexy as it is, the financial end is where I always start right. because I was 21 years old, great at marketing, great at bringing business in, and really great at spending money. <laughs> and with no training or understanding of financial statements, I would have a I would have fairly substantial revenues coming in. But at the end of the year, I'd look at my profit and loss statement and see big red brackets at the end and think, why am I not making any money? So for me, it was going into my accountant's office and sitting down and, and, you know, removing the shame and saying, hey, you know, I need you to explain this to me like I'm in kindergarten. And it took me about two or three years working directly with a financial coach to understand how to control expenses, what were variable, what were fixed. So really understanding the finances and what drives the profit of the business is my number one piece of advice. And then secondly are the people skills. We work in service, not only with customers, but with our, our team as well. And I think when we're young and we have our own ideas, we think we're the, only, we, the way we do things is the only way it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, but to really work with a more senior person that knows how to coach people properly and, and how to build on those soft skills, mm-hmm. it goes a long way. I would say, too, that uh, sticking it out for three years, working for other companies, although uh, probably unpleasant, uh, is a good education, too. And I, re- I recommend young entrepreneurs, if they can, you know, work for someone else doing that business. Not because you're trying to steal their business or anything like that, but because you need to, we need to learn quite a bit when we're starting out. Would you agree with that? I'd agree with that. And there's also, I always talk about removing shame. Right. Because often we know as entrepreneurs that there are other entrepreneurs that are younger that want to make their mark. And sometimes we hold our interests really close to ourselves and forget that we too need an exit strategy. And so something that I always encourage is to be really upfront and honest if entrepreneurialism is something that runs through your blood is to talk to that owner, talk to that manager and say, hey, you know, what is your succession plan? You know, if I'm willing to work with you for years, is there a chance that I might be able to buy into this business, become a partner, whatever it may be. But opening up that conversation often thinks, gets that entrepreneur to think, hey, you know, I'm not shackled to this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I might have the opportunity to coach this young person and they can eventually um, take over. I have a, a friend that lives in Vancouver and he works in fashion distribution. And this was a conversation I had with him. He's worked for a company for seven years. He was considering leaving, starting his own, his own brand. But his owners are in their late 60s. 
They're hating their life. They want to get out of it. And so the process that I've been leading him through is have that open conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's leading to the point where he may be able to buy out, buy out that business. So again, it's having those open conversations and removing the shame from it because cat's out of the bag. We right. know that there's entrepreneurs out there. Great advice. And uh, sometimes the answer I think you'll get because I've had people approach me and uh, I've said, I don't have any plans to retire, but I am willing to mentor you. And uh, it's a great question to ask, you know, about succession and what your plans for the future. And just, uh, it, it, I think it demonstrates like you're interested in the other person too. Not just like teach me what you know and you're taking, 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 but like how can I help you, you know, to retire, to move on to your next business? Let's, you know, work together if possible, you can teach me and I can help you to, you know, move on with your life, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So uh, you're heavily involved in the community and I hear that you're thinking of running for city council. So maybe tell us about your community work and uh, what gave you the idea to run for council. Well, first and foremost, um, a position, an elected position um, on a city council or provincially or federally, I think is a, is a great honor to serve the public. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we forget that and look at it as a career. And so this is something I've been working on and considering for the last seven years. And it's because my heart really lies with community. And that's demonstrated with the level of community work that we've done with Loyal Hair. And we've used, used the business as a vehicle and a platform to have a voice and to get a lot of get a lot of noise out in the community. So we've mm-hmm. partnered with agencies like the KGH Foundation, the Women's Shelter, Kids Help Phone, um, the Bridge Youth and Family, um, and all of these agencies give back to the community in different ways. And we, we shift our focus because we don't want to just give to one sector. But again, I truly believe that giving goes full circle and we have to give back to the community that supports us. Kelowna is small. These agencies don't have huge operating budgets, and we're all going to need their services at some point. Uh, one of the biggest events that my husband Ian and I did was Swinging with the Stars for uh, Central Okanagan Hospice Association. So we raised over $10,000 for that agency with end-of-life care. And again, those are all of the things in the community that we, that we love to be a part of. And so stepping into a role of council in this term um, is something I've been working on hardcore now for the last year. I've attended over 17 council meetings this year alone, 21 stakeholder meetings, and over 18 community events since I officially announced on May 2nd. So it's been a busy start to the campaign season, but it's been really positive. Um, There's a lot of invigorating changes that are happening in Kelowna right now a lot of sensitive topics, and the next term is going to be very challenging energy-wise for the next sitting council because there's going to be a lot of decisions that are having to be made um, in so many different facets that uh, it's going to be a challenge, but I'm really excited for it. You announced May 2nd. When is the election? And uh, tell us a little bit about some of your philosophy. Like, why should we vote for you? Uh, You mentioned giving back to the community and certain groups that you're very interested in. Uh, Do you have a certain uh, philosophy or um, like what, what do you expect your focus to be if you're elected? Great question. So what's really important to me is that it's multifaceted because we can't just have one interest, for example, being a nonprofit. It needs to be multifaceted because 
we have over 150,000 people living here. We have to appeal to everyone, right? Right. So there's four key main pillars that I'm focusing on on developing my platform, which I'm going to release um, in September. The election isn't until October 20th, so we still have over three months to go until then. Um, The four main pillars that I'm focusing on, and I'm sure you'll agree with this one, number one is housing affordability and availability. Um, What does that even mean? People will say to me, especially realtors. Um, And again, it's a multifaceted response because are we talking about market housing? Are we talking about market rental? Are we talking about subsidized housing? Are we talking about the homelessness challenge that we currently have? And really, housing affordability and availability to me encompasses all of that. And it's really important to know what council can do and what they can't do while they're in chambers. Mm -hmm. And so much of it is going to be advocacy work, working with the federal and provincial governments to gain funding for different social-based housing projects, um, because the city doesn't have a huge operating budget for that. Number two is transportation. And that's really a revolution, because a lot of our roads cannot get wider. They're only going to get busier as we welcome more people here. So how do we build Kelowna? to welcome 50,000 more people here by the year 2040 in a responsible and sustainable way. Mm -hmm. Third is tourism and jobs. How are we going to keep young people here when wages are at a set amount and our cost of living continues to rise? So really working with the tourism sector, the tech sector, to really understand what initiatives the city needs to do in order to maintain all of these recent graduates that are coming from UBCO and OC, as well as those that work in service, obviously owning a business, we don't pay $100,000 a year. So it, it, it can be a challenge to keep staff. And then fourth is complete community. And that's really integrating everyone in our community into the community and not segregating it. So we're talking about the senior population. We're talking about the the more vulnerable populations that could be suffering with mental illness, addictions, or brain injuries, and building communities that are complete so that people can live and work and play within a community and they might not necessarily have to rely so much on cars and um, single occupancy vehicles. So a big gamut of of, um, topics, for sure, but they're also intertwined. And really, I I didn't just pull this out of the air. I really researched the citizen survey that came out last fall to really look at what citizens are most concerned with. And for the first time in the last two citizen surveys, social issues are the number one issue that people have right now in Kelowna. Mm -hmm. So... Again, not huge operating budget for that, so it's going to be up to the next sitting council to get creative and put a lot of energy towards it. I'm curious about the mechanics of the election. So it's in October, and uh, it happens every four years, I believe. Um, I voted in the last one three years ago. Um, are, are there a certain number of council seats? Are you definitely running against other people? Is it split up by district? Uh, how does it work? So we do not have a ward or district um, system in Kelowna. We're still a little bit too small for that. So there are eight council seats and one mayoral seat. Um, at this point, we, we know of a few incumbents that are currently sitting planning to run again. Um, not everyone has formally announced. And then Mayor Bazran has also announced um, that he is seeking a second term as mayor, which will be wonderful. Um, up to this point, I'm the only one that has formally announced in terms of anyone that's not an incumbent. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people will probably wait till the end of the summer. Generally, we see about 30 to 40 names on the ballot for council. So it can be, um, it can be quite a busy ride. Mm -hmm. Um, 
with the election being October 20th, September 1st is when everyone will hit the ground running. I can't even say I'm a candidate until September 4th because that's the nomination period. So right now it's my intention to run, um, but until that package comes out um, and I have my official candidacy papers in, I can't say I'm a candidate yet. Right. So is it the top eight vote getters that get a seat? Is that how it works? Exactly. So the top eight um, get seats on council. Um, of course, my biggest challenge to overcome is that I'm not an incumbent. I'm fairly fresh to the political scene. So that's why I've really been using my time as best I can to really understand the city of Kelowna at a deeper level, not just socially, but from an operational point of view. So I've had the opportunity to meet a lot with city staff as well as current sitting councillors and mayor to really understand what's going on in Kelowna and where we need to focus our energy. That's awesome. Uh, are you able to share with us any of your ideas for traffic? The others are fascinating issues too, but I think incredibly complex. Uh, housing affordability, I think, is a very complex issue with many competing interests. I think we all want the same thing, ultimately, but uh, the way to get there might be up to debate, I'm sure. But uh, when it comes to traffic, like if you're... Um, okay with the concept of 50,000 more people coming here. How do we solve that? Is it uh, public transport? Is it density? Uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about greater density in the downtown core. Some buildings won't even have parking spots, so people have to use bikes and public transport. So this will be a contentious issue for sure, because we have created, and not just Kelowna, but globally, a very car-centric culture, where it's basically our right to have a car. Um, and in my research, a lot of the laws that we currently have around cars were actually developed by the automobile agencies in the U.S. at, at the invent of the car. So it's really interesting how the law of jaywalking, for instance, was actually developed by a car manufacturer in the U.S. Right. So it, it's been ingrained in us that if we have a car, we have the right of way and, and it's our right. So there's going to be a little bit of a paradigm shift here in the future. Um, it's interesting to me because I've spoken to a lot of experts and I was very on the on the the bus with public transit and uh, light rail, which could definitely be a future in Kelowna. The fact of the matter is those will take 20 or 30 years to develop that level of infrastructure because it's quite costly. So in my research, um, aside from... Um, driving, you know, we have our active modes of transportation, which is generally biking. Um, the city's investing deeply in bike lanes right now. We just saw a bike share program come into Kelowna last month called Drop Bike. And um, it's a great initiative to get people out cycling. We have to do a better job at separating cyclists from motor vehicles because there are um, there's constant collisions that are happening. My husband's a transportation engineer, so we talk about this at, over dinner all the time. The other thing to consider is, is a fixed rail transit going to be relevant in 30 years from now? And in saying that, with the evolution of autonomous or self-driving cars coming onto the market, how are we going to mitigate that? How are we going to navigate a self-driving car versus a human-driven car? So there's a lot of technology that's changing, and I think that that is where we need to focus, is where can technology take us in terms of getting people around safely and efficiently, mm -hmm. and how do we maximize and plan for that? You know, I heard a stat that it took us 100 years to get from horse and buggy to cars, and so we don't necessarily need to be concerned with self-driving cars at this point, because it could take us 100 years to get there. 
But my rebuttal to that is, well, look where cell phones were 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. We basically can now run our lives from, uh, from the device that's in our pocket right now. So we have to be forward-thinking when we're talking about transportation and how technology can influence that. Excellent. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us about your, your platform and your activist work in the community? Well, the, the thing that I'll share the most, and, and when I first met, met with Mayor Bazran back in November, he asked me why I wanted to run for council, which is the number one question any candidate gets asked. And I came in with all of these lofty dreams and goals, especially for nonprofit and for advocacy. And what I've come to realize while I've been doing this research and I've been going through this process is you can make a difference when you're elected in office. And the majority of that difference is made through the advocacy work that you do. So sitting on various boards and committees and working with provincial and federal governments Mm -hmm. to gain funding. Because let's be honest, that's where the majority of funding comes for social projects. Mm -hmm. So for me, with my platform, that's what I intend to do, is not just sit on there and decide on rezonings of different properties, which is a lot of what council will be doing, Mm -hmm. but to work with different government agencies federally and provincially, because right now all three levels of government are really aligned in social cause. And so time is really of the essence right now with the federal election coming up in 2019. Mm -hmm. And while we don't know what's going to go on provincially, um, but right now we have alignment. So really using that platform to align with our current um, big governments. Excellent. So tell us a little more about the uh, hairstyling business. Tell us what you love about it. And tell us what you find maybe challenging or frustrating sometimes, or is that all in the past? (laughs) I don't think owning a business, any challenging or frustrating times can be in the past. Um, But the thing I love the most is is seeing the young talent flourish. And when people are achieving their dreams in their life, that's what really lights me up as a a leader and as a, a coach. Um, when I first got into the industry, it was all just about the technical ability of doing hair. Um, but it's that e-myth, the e-myth being that if you're really great at something technically, that you're going to be a great entrepreneur. And as soon as you get into business and you start failing forward, I like to say, you start to realize that you need to shift from being that technician doing hair, for example, and becoming an entrepreneur and business owner. And that's really about growing your people and seeing them flourish. So the business is really only successful if the people within it are successful in their lives. Mm -hmm. So in our coaching conversations with our team, it's less about, you know, what kind of hair do you want to be doing? It's more about where do you want to go in your life? Mm -hmm. Is it about taking six weeks of holiday a a year? Is it about buying that new house? Is it about buying a new car? Or is it about just having more time off to be with the people you love? It's really finding that customized thing that lights people up Mm -hmm. and basing their career around that. Um, as generations are changing, everyone's talking about the quote unquote millennials. I'm tired of hearing about it because then we're becoming those old people saying like, back in my day, I used to do (laughs) things this way. We have to adapt the way that we're working. So for me, that's what really lights me up in the hair industry. And it's not just the hair industry. It's any, any facet of business. Okay. I want to put, put you on the spot now. Um, if you could name one person in Kelowna, that you think is a fascinating person and you would love to see come on this show in the future? Well, I think I'm going to throw that out to Mayor Colin Bazran. I think you've got to get him in here and uh, share his vision with Kelowna. He really inspires me with his leadership qualities, and I'm really hoping to work under that leadership. So I'm going to throw that out there that hopefully uh, you can get Colin in here. Fabulous. And you endorse him for mayor for his re-election, and you've met with him several times. And uh, do you have each other's cell phone? (laughs) 
I don't know about that. I do have good contact with Mayor Bazran. Uh, we'll we'll see what the election brings out. But uh, like I said, I really do uh, I really do enjoy his leadership, and I hope I do get to work with him in the future. That's excellent, uh, loyal. Thank you so much for your time. I've learned a few things today, and uh, we all got to know you better on a personal level. So I want to wish you good luck with the election. And um, I've, I'm considering voting for you now, uh, having met you and hearing a little bit. Well, yeah, because uh, 20 minutes now, I'm very impressed with you and with your platform. And uh, a lot of it resonates with me. But I need to spend a little more than 20 minutes just researching you and your platform. And, uh, but I think it's, it's looking good. I'm probably going to vote for you. We'll see what happens. But thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Luke. I really appreciate the time.